0: Hello, welcome to The Best, the podcast where we geek out about the things that we love. I'm Spencer. I'm Matthew. Uh, And uh, today I have kind of a big topic I'm going to be sort of presenting my research on uh, for my Rhetoric of Incarceration class uh, because turns out uh, meditation programs in prison are kind of the best, Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. So, uh, to break off the ice and start off our, our episode and our good days, uh, Matt, uh, do you have uh, a short thing that is the best this week? So I bought a new cat. <laughs> I don't know why, but saying that you bought a cat sounds much more slavery-based yeah. than it is. So, like, both of my cats, I, I've
1: just, I've adopted Snowball off the streets. Yeah.
0: You See, know. adopted is a great verb for-, for that is more <laughs> implying they are your child unless that they are your property. I don't know why.
1: And then Mars I just got as from a friend because her cat had kittens, and I was just like, ah yes, mm-hmm. the one gray one out of four black cats, I will take him. He's very good. But I- so I went to the shelter, and I bought a beautiful little baby. She's a tortoiseshell, mm-hmm. which are commonly known to not get along with other cats. But she's fine. She's fine. <laughs> she's fine. Um, she's she's so goddamn small, uh-huh.
0: and she looks very sad all the time. <laughs> she just looks permanently depressed. This this is a fallacy of uh, of us anthropomorphizing our, our pets and our animals around us. Is that sometimes they can't help but just look absolutely miserable. Like have you seen like a French bulldog? No no pug has ever looked like it feels great about itself. <laughs>
1: I wouldn't if I looked like that.
0: <laughs> oh. oh, I'm sure if they had any self- self-understanding of what has happened to them as a people in the last thousand years, they probably wouldn't love it. No, but like, I, she, I think so, sometimes
1: cats have this thing where their eyes just kind of look really watery, uh-huh. and she has oh, that thing. Oh yeah, it makes thing. for great memes. Yeah. She has that thing, and she just looks so fucking sad. Hmm. Like, the... The morning I woke up after bringing her home, she was, like, circling by the bed and just meowing, and I'm like, Catacino, what are you doing? And she looked at me, meowed, looked really depressed, (laughs) turned around, and took a fat shit on the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ripped Catacino. (laughs) And, like, I'm sitting there like, ah, that's what you were yelling about. Your stomach hurt. Oh. (laughs) Got it. And Spencer. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a very tiny cat. She took a fat shit.
0: Like the the ten percent body weight kind of shit.
1: Yeah, and like Mars.
0: Oh god! God <laughs> damn it! I'm gonna be presenting this in class. <laughs> oh, it's
1: fine. Sorry,
0: Gina. <laughs> it's
1: fine. It's it's just it's comedy. Yep. And like Mars, the biggest one takes man-sized poops. Oh god. Like if you if he like oh, pooped on the carpet. It'd be like a person pooped on the it's, carpet. Yeah, you look, like that, you look that at that at it's like, but yeah. which one of you took a, a squat and crapped on our carpet? And no, it was the cat.
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> but, you know, he just has the bowel system of a small child.
0: See, Archie uh, never looks sad. Uh, he, he can look guilty. He looks guilty real good, because he does lots of things that he should and does feel guilty about. Uh, and then the rest of the time, he just looks either apathetic mad or uh desperately uh attention needy he's, he's he's very appropriately expressive he's very good all right my uh small thing before i jump into my big thing uh is birding with friends yes. so uh as previously mentioned i'm doing uh an ornithology course with our good friend uh, Corey evans and we for homework just every week go out to a different park or lake or something and go out with binoculars and try and f- see what birds we can find and we went out with uh, one of our friends um, just a couple days ago, Mary Yoder, yes. who, uh, yeah, great human. Um, she and the two of us just like went out to uh, Indian Creek Nature yes. Center. You and... never invited me to go birding. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. You want to come birding with us? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We'll see if we can find some good crows for you. I feel sad now. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. We can, we can. Yeah, we can. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. Any- anyway, we went and we saw a, a bald eagle nest, and we couldn't... Cause it was because I already knew where it was. I'd been there the week before, and mm-hmm. I wanted to show them. Uh, and the parents didn't seem to be around, but you could hear something yelling. Aww. Uh and It wasn't like the full uh, bald eagle yell, which, to be fair, isn't the majestic like screech that it is in movies? It's a red hawk. Yeah, it's a hawk. hawk. It's yeah, I'm yeah, so every weird. time you hear an eagle in a movie, that's a red-tailed hawk. The actual eagle sound is like,
1: <laughs>
0: It is a very non-majestic sound for a very cool animal. And if you put it in a movie, people will be like, what the fuck
1: was that? <laughs> I'd be more terrified of, like, what's coming out of the sky versus you hear the hawk sounds like, ah, oh, that's a bird. Yeah. That's, that's a bird that knows what it is. That's
0: recognizable. An eagle sound is like, <laughs> there's a creature under my bed. But yeah, we uh, I realized on our walk back that like going birding with friends is like going for a walk, but with like an objective. <laughs> you're, you're, you have a, a quest indicator in your inventory, and you go out with a goal and achieve that goal. Or you find enough birds until you decide to go home, and then you leave. <laughs> but like going out and appreciating nature, that's very open-ended. Going yep. out to go birding, you have a specific objective in mind, <laughs> and then if you happen to find like an empty turtle shell underneath the tree of a bald eagle nest, like you know that's that's a bonus. Did you take the shell? <laughs> no, we no, left it. That'd be really cool. There was still part. There was still a fair chunk of turtle inside. Like you could <laughs> you can look through the, the head hole and like see through to the Best. light on the other side, but like there was there gets. was a fair uh, column of mass of turtle flesh connecting the top <laughs> shell and the bottom shell, which is a, a bad thing to say, but it was very cool to see. <laughs> but, like,
1: dang, that'd be really cool to have, though, just a cool turtle shell. Yeah. Maybe just wait for nature to e- eat the rest of the turtle chunks. And, and we'll remember where it is and, go come, back and, and come, later day. come back for the turtle shell. To be fair, that's
0: what I did with the uh, raccoon skull. I hey, on, hey. on a walk, I found, like, the carcass of a raccoon that still had a lot of meat and fur on it. And so I wanted to, like, have a raccoon skull for, like, an art project I was yeah. making. But I also didn't want to touch the thing that the maggots were still going at. Yeah. So I just, like, put a pin, a little uh, pin on my Google, Ma- Google Maps and Wait. came back a month <laughs> later. And by there that was. point, if, if I hadn't, like, marked it beforehand, I wouldn't have known. Because mm-hmm. it was just, like, a tiny little bit of white sticking up out of the leaf litter. But ah, yeah, I came... Painted it. It was very cool. I have this thing now, and it's great. Yeah, I'm. I'm witchy. I need bones. Same. So, uh, want to hear why prison meditation groups are the of best? Of course. Uh, very probably niche topic if you don't uh, have either some connection to the carceral system, or are a Zen Buddhist, which. Uh, <laughs> One of which I happen to be, and the other I am tangentially because I'm taking a class called the Rhetoric of Incarceration. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> uh, am am Buddhist a little yeah. bit? Yeah, uh, and am taking Rhetoric of Incarceration. Gotcha. So that is the closest uh, connection I have to the carceral system uh, in my own life. Uh, but last couple of years, I have been going to the Cedar Rapids Zen Center. Uh, I Will be the first to say. Uh, with as busy as I have been in my schooling, I have not always been the most uh, astute practitioner, uh, and I have not shown up as much as I should have over you the know, last. I'm sure they'll understand. Yeah, we're busy. It... I sleep till noon on Sundays because I don't get enough sleep the rest of the
1: days. <laughs> right, like I, I get maybe five hours of sleep on a good day.
0: <laughs> yeah, so getting up early on Sundays is always the goal but is rarely the actuality. <laughs> if um, I'm up early on a Sunday, it's because I was up all night beforehand. <laughs> so for uh, my rhetoric class, um, our final project in the course is a, uh, an outward, public-facing, um, independent project involving something in the realm of either the rhetoric of incarceration or some uh, facet of uh, the carceral system mm-hmm. in America. And when I was trying to think of a topic idea, I remembered uh, Zuko Redding, the uh, priest at the Cedar Rapids Zen Center, talking about uh, her own time in uh, Anamosa Prison, which is a men's prison in, uh, in obviously, Anamosa, Iowa. Yeah. Um, I, um, I go into five prisons in Iowa. My first one was Anamosa, and the most intense one is Anamosa.
2: Uh, um I'm also I also go to Mount Pleasant, uh, yeah uh Mount Pleasant when they need me um Fort Madison I've been and Fort Dodge Newton and
0: Clorinda. uh but she just goes in uh, I believe twice a month uh, to lead a uh I I was gonna say class but that's not it I'm a student I think that's blending into my <laughs> experience of the world but uh, she goes into um, lead meditations yeah. uh, for the Buddhists in uh, that uh, facility and she does the same thing for uh, a lot of other um, uh, incarceration facilities in uh, the state of Iowa because uh, you know religious ex- religious expression uh, protected under the Constitution everybody gets the right to practice yeah and so yeah in the same way that Anyone in prison, if you're a Catholic, they will bring in Catholic priests to Great. do mass. Yeah, if you're a Zen practitioner, they will uh, call up Zuiko, who will come in Great. a couple times a month to lead zazen. Like
1: I feel like I feel like we don't treat prisoners as human as they are, especially like mostly in America because you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a whole different topic. But <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's a that's a little bit of a a rant per se, but. If, that's uh, It's really good that we
0: can at least allow them that Yeah. for what we have. Yeah, of all the things that we do, it doesn't make up for anything, but no. <laughs> it's at the very least a basic human right that we are not actively denying. Mm-hmm. So uh, the general idea of uh, like mindfulness meditation in prison has been uh, not really a new thing. This has kind of been something researched and practiced and uh, kind of experimented um, since the 70s um, when uh, mindfulness and meditation as kind of mainstream concepts kind of entered the American consciousness Mm -hmm. um, as I'll get into uh, very much as an influence from uh, East Asian culture in uh, North America. Uh, Specifically um, Zen Buddhism uh, affected a lot of um, what would become the idea of mindfulness Mm-hmm. Uh, the I have a couple of different uh, definitions from some of the different uh, journal articles uh, I've uh, used in my research for this. Um, an article by Ido Shonen uh, defined mindfulness as purposeful moment-to-moment non-judgmental awareness, uh, and another article by uh, Thomas Lyons and a few other folks uh, describes uh, mindfulness meditation as uh, being centered around quieting the mind and becoming aware of the things, uh, oh, sorry, becoming aware of things as they are in the present moment through sitting and mindful movement practices. Mm -hmm. So this is not a a totally new idea to you. No, I feel like, uh, in the modern day, there's (laughs) mindfulness wellness stuff kind of everywhere yeah. and it becomes just kind of a buzzword for anything that involves you like sitting still for like half a second <laughs> but it comes from uh, very intentional and long-standing traditions um the uh program which would become the uh, mindfulness-based st- stress reduction uh is a technique described as evidence-based uh, as an evidence-based program that offers secular intensive mindfulness training to assist people with stress, anxiety, depression, and pain. Uh, and it was developed at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center in the 70s by Professor John uh, Kabat-Zinn. And this is a really famous program that's still uh, taught and practiced. But you'll notice there is very little Buddhism in that sentence, despite yeah. coming directly from Zen Buddhism. Interesting. And also comes from a medical facility. Yeah, that is an interesting take on it. Yeah, and, I mean, we've done a lot of research in the past, what would that be, 50 years, that have pretty thoroughly linked meditation and mindfulness with uh, health and wellness, Uh, but the fact that it jumped so quickly from a religion to a medical field is surprising uh, in some ways. Like, do they have any...
1: do they, like, explain where they even started the, the oh yeah um okay.
0: john Kabat-Zinn uh, is pretty upfront about um uh the uh, buddhist influence on uh the technique okay and uh in in general it's pretty widely acknowledged that it comes primarily from uh east asian and specifically japanese buddhism mm-hmm. so Ido shonen uh describes mindfulness-based meditation uh as a good recommended way of uh, rehabilitating offenders, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the ideas he cites, uh, being, uh, the fact that Buddhist teachings emphasize the uprooting of afflictive mental states with particular emphasis on the transformation of anger, which, uh, for particularly violent offenders, I could definitely see the, uh, logic there, Mm -hmm. uh, mindfulness, um, is said to reduce stress and anxiety and improve improve self-esteem and psychological well-being, as we've talked about, yeah, yeah, In prison, psychological well-being is not necessarily prioritized. Yeah,
1: so having this sort of outlet.
0: Yeah, Uh, and in general, I suppose I should rewind. Uh, A lot of these programs, essentially, um, especially the more secular stuff, is uh, going through either guided meditations or breathing exercises or mindful movements. But at their root, they are about sitting still with your thoughts, paying attention to your breathing. Uh, paying attention to your bodily uh, space, and just, uh, as uh, the Zen priest um, Brad Warner uh, famously put in uh, the title of his book, you sit down and shut up. (laughs) Brad Warner is, this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, an American Zen Buddhist um, who uh, is also a punk musician, we love that. <laughs> Wonderful crossroads of uh, ideologies here. Uh, but his um, American adaptation of uh, a lot of Japanese Zen teachings fall under the uh, less less than reverential, uh, I guess, way of phrasing it as sit down and shut up. Like, no, don't have to worry. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it stressful. Just stop, sit, be there. And that is kind of ninety percent of it. There's there's a lot else too, but I feel that's like the
1: a, of it. I feel like the description of that man of being a Zen Buddhist but also a punk musician is like do no harm but take no shit.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. that
1: that that feels like that's
0: exactly where that phrase needs to fit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I oh, I'm I'm definitely gonna bring up more Brad Warner stuff in a later episode, but yeah, he's a really cool guy. So uh other ideas uh you know Shonin brings up, um greater self awareness, uh also corresponds to increased ability to label and therefore uh change uh your state of mind which uh in facilities supposedly about rehabilitating and changing Mm -hmm. inmates yeah being able to change who you or how you interact with the world around you very important for re-entering society yeah and also uh compassion loving kindness and ethical discipline are like key building blocks in Buddhist practice and help foster self acceptance, tolerance, cooperation, respect, uh, all cool adaptive interpersonal skills. The people who want to change their lives, um, can change them. And I'm not sure, you know, I know that Buddhism is one way that will help. And I've seen, I, there's one man,
2: especially, um, in Anamosa, who came to that group, I'd say 10 years ago now, and he was a young punk with an anger problem. And I thought, "Uh uh-huh, you know, if you come back next time, I'll be surprised. And he came back, surprised. And then he came back again, and he became a member, you know, a a um, very steady member of the group and what i've seen over the years is how his he has softened and he's opened up and rather than killing everybody around him he's um, much more interested now in um
1: being a role model Around now, are these programs, like, open to anyone?
0: Uh, or they're... is it just specifically people who practice? Um, so, uh, we can kind of get into that a little bit. There are a lot of uh, secular uh, mindfulness meditation programs in general, mm-hmm. and I'll talk about a couple of them down the road, but uh, those in general are just open, voluntary, to anyone who uh I suppose is allowed to. I don't know the exact administrative (laughs) (laughs) bureaucracy of every prison. Um, And then uh, specific uh, religious services are open to practicing Buddhists, which you can become uh, in prison. I've found some uh, anecdote that, uh, at the very least, in the time frame between the 90s and the early 2000s, I don't know if this is... Uh, still constant to this day, but in England, the largest growing population uh, within incarcerated people was uh, Buddhism, which I suppose could make sense. I feel like there's definitely the idea of uh, incarcerated people, like, quote, finding religion uh, in prison, (laughs) and that is, like, a rehabilitation story that I feel like a lot of us are familiar with. Yeah. Um, So I also found a couple of cool studies because... Uh, evidence we don't just take people's words for stuff um there have been a lot of studies uh, especially with mindfulness and uh, Buddhism and transcendental meditation and a bunch of that cool stuff um, coming over in the late 60s and 70s -hmm. so a lot of these are like 50 year old studies that have been well uh, documented and researched Uh, one really cool one I found that was done in 2012 uh, in uh, a prison in Alabama there were two um separate uh 10-day residential silent retreats um in the tradition of the vipassana uh buddhist uh tradition mm-hmm. uh or as they uh, abbreviate uh vm for vipassana meditation um so there are two of these uh 10-day silent retreats uh at a maximum security prison um they were conducted in the prison gym that were where the uh participants would eat sleep meditate practice for 10 days in pretty much uh mostly total silence mm-hmm. um because you just sit there and you you be with yourself uh and so because again good science there was a control group and a group who did the uh study uh 60 group 60 men in the group that went through the VM uh, program, and 67 who were in the control group. Uh, And uh, the data was collected before, directly after, and one year after the program. Uh, And compared to the control group, uh, the VM participants showed a 9% increase in post-intervention mindfulness. I would imagine that one uh, speaks for itself. A 2% increase in emotional intelligence, which seems like a subjective thing to measure in anyone, uh, but an 8% reduction in mood disturbances. So uh, there have been many different studies that uh, usually tend to show um, you know, positive trends uh, in uh, either um, reducing recidivism, which is like the rate at which uh, released offenders uh, return mm-hmm. to uh, incarceration, which uh, as I'll talk about in a bit, yeah, anything administrations can do to lower that rate, that's good. <laughs> Willing to try it at least. Even even from the administration's perspective, like rehabilitation and like the personal approach aside, prison's expensive, and they would also rather fewer people be in jail. But that is, I, yeah, that's a topic for a later rant. <laughs> yeah, a really big long rant. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, a lot of the arguments for programs like this are very results-oriented. Mm-hmm. So uh, like mentioned, one of the biggest results that people will often cite, and that's often very uh, you know responsive for administration, is the fact that it's cheaper. If you can do this relatively inexpensive program and have a bunch of people uh, in the program not return to prison because they have changed as people, mm-hmm. That is good for the prison because it costs, by some uh, estimates, $65,000 a year per inmate to incarcerate people in the U.S., which is more than the median income of most Americans. So, having approximately a million people behind bars (laughs) is expensive, and it would be nice if we could lower that number. Just just you know just
1: like lower it by like a couple hundred thousand.
0: Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> so that's yes, yeah, so that like monetary argument is often used for a lot of uh, creative programs mm-hmm. in prisons, saying like, hey, give people an emotional outlet, give them some way to thrive intellectually and uh, like build new skills for themselves. Mm-hmm. If if it does if any program does anything to lower the recidivism rate in a measurable way, a lot of people will be on board with it. Yes. Just for that very results-oriented reason. Um, A lot of prison administrators are uh, open to uh, meditation groups in general because uh, it reduces aggressive behavior uh, in the prison, which again is a win-win for everyone involved, Um, and also rehabilitation. We've kind of danced around this a little bit, but uh, one of the big topics in Rhetoric of incarceration is rehabilitation, uh, and how you take people uh, convicted of crimes Mm. and improve, or allow them to improve themselves and re-enter society as better people than when they entered. Yeah. Which, as you might kind of know about the American penal system, isn't, by many arguments, how it actually works. Yeah. (laughs) Just makes people a lot more angry. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh... According to the David Lynch Foundation, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, there's some things to say about David Lynch uh, in this field, but uh, according to the David Lynch Foundation, over the past 35 years, the Transcendental Meditation Technique, which is their whole thing, Mm -hmm. uh, has been taught to inmates and guards in a bunch of different American prisons with dramatic benefits. Uh, they cite a more than 30% reduction in recidivism rates from or from incarcerated practitioners of TM or transcendental meditation, mm-hmm. which, admittedly, they would be maybe a bit of a biased source of information there. But if that number is even remotely close to accurate, that is very good for everyone involved. Yeah. So. Uh, The kind of results-oriented, this-will-save-us-money approach may be true, but it kind of seems a little less than holistic. Yeah. So the other kind of uh, approach to endorsing programs like this is the more personal approach, saying that, like, yeah, it may be better for the system in the long run, but also it's good for the people involved, so offer programs that make people better people. And Especially if, like, they really want to yeah. change and fix what they've done. Yeah, that's that's also the thing about a lot of these programs, is that they're entirely voluntary, mm-hmm. because, again, it's a religion, and... You can't force somebody to yeah, do the thing. Having having a religion be a system of rehabilitation kind of breaks the uh, some constitutional uh, just amendments. A, just, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, little. separation of church and state, and all that. Uh, but at the same time, voluntary practice... A-okay and yeah. very good. The administration realizes that no matter what the religion is, if it is sincerely held and sincerely practiced, it is helpful mm-hmm. both to the person and to the administration, and so they welcome us. Um. So uh, Buddhist meditation in general, that is a very broad term. Meditation is a part of the tradition of uh, most, I believe, all uh, de- uh, denominations of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a part of a religious tradition, there is kind of a lot more to it than just the sit down, shut up <laughs> aspect, although that is certainly a part of it. Yeah. Um, Zwicko and the Cedar Rapids Zen Center, which I uh, am a member of, is uh, a Zen Buddhist. Uh, group, which is its own branch, which originated from uh, Chinese Buddhism, which originated from Indian Buddhism, which originated from Buddha. Uh, long, long circuitous uh, road that brings it to America through uh, primarily Japanese immigrants uh, yep. on the West Coast, which is why to this day, like San Francisco, is like kind of the big Zen city yeah. in America. It's spread everywhere else too, but that was kind of where it. Made landfall. A big hotspot. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, as uh, as a part of that practice, uh, most um, uh, Zen, well, I, I say meditation. In Zen, we would just call it zazen, which basically, roughly translated, just means sitting. The whole practice is uh, for, uh, for service. You spend a certain amount of time, maybe 30 minutes or 45 minutes, just sitting on a pillow. Mm-hmm. And you sit down and shut up. And listen to your breathing, and don't worry, and don't think about things, and let uh, be be mindful of your breathing, uh, awareness of your mind, silent sitting, all that. I've done quite a few like personal meditations where it's like
1: body scans. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this might just be my brain messing with me, but it, it's kind of fun to like kind of trick myself into feeling like. Uh, f- like, a little sparkly feeling going up my leg as I'm, like, mm-hmm.
0: imagining, like, ah, calmness going through my body. I'm taking a stress reduction and relaxation class right now, and we're, we've done a fair number of body scans. It's and so fun. It's just very tingly and
1: very good. Yes, and it's, like, the first time I heard the, like, the voice, the guy that does the voiceovers is like, yeah, you might imagine feeling, like, a, a little, like, a warm sensation or a little, like, cool, like, a sparkle and
0: I'm just like oh that's so cool neat it's very much a tingly sparkle yeah whatever part I'm highlighting with my great right. with my the, uh, the spotlight in my brain
1: it's so cool I just like it's what I wanted <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what I wanted from this uh,
0: so um, as, as I mentioned a lot of uh, mindfulness stuff in America mm-hmm. comes from Buddhism but is specifically uh, secularized. It's kind of taking like the physical thing of sit down and shut up, and just take that on its own and make it a whole thing, while cutting away the like, spiritual and religious tradition side of things. Which, to, to their credit, uh, would make it more like, marketable to non-Buddhists, and as yeah. you're introducing a whole lot of brand new fresh ideas to a Western audience, I could see the logic of having a thing that doesn't require someone to adopt a new religion. Yeah. Like, yeah, mindfulness is good. Uh, it's cool that Christians can do that too, even without having to do the whole religion itself. Right. The secular meditation might be really helpful, I don't know. You know, it can be a way of letting go of stress mm-hmm. and, and so forth.
2: Um, my feeling about it is that what really helps us let go is looking up and understanding that we are part of something way larger than we are and um and trusting ourselves to that um and not so much trusting ourselves maybe as making
0: room for it Mm -hmm and that's that's basically what the Four Noble Truths is about you know we can uh we can reframe them say uh real realizing saying that well you know um i don't feel that the world is a is a um a very good um what shall i say the world is always lacking, mm-hmm.
2: it doesn't live up to my expectations, it's a really, uh, personal truth, and when we look, on, look and see that, no, the world doesn't live according to my expectations, live up to my expectations, because the world is busy living up to the world's expectations, mm-hmm. There are many other beings out there that need to be accommodated and many other things. Um, And uh, when I let go of my ideas and say, okay, how do I fit in here? Then a lot of stuff crops away. We cool down. Uh, We get real with life instead of looking at it
0: through the lens of what I want, how I want things to be, mm-hmm. and I think that's the real path to stress reduction. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, we can do meditation and let go of things, and that might work for a lot of us. I don't know, but for me, I need the I need the full picture. I guess. Uh. But there is a lot more to Zen than just that. So as like a religious practice, um, it's uh, grounded in the idea of the bodhisattva path, which is the path of a person kind of, I would say, walking towards enlightenment, but that is also a whole theological kind of framework that I, as a semi-practicing lay person do not feel qualified to speak in too great a depth about, um, but it's based on, uh, the transcendent virtues, uh, which are widely translated as, uh, generosity, moral discipline, patience, effort, concentration, and wisdom, and also the five precepts, uh, the kind of, uh, I, I could, you could call it like the Buddhist ethical code Mm -hmm. of, um, it might not be too off base to kind of make the analogy to the, um, oh, what's the uh, the tablets of Christianity the um commandments. That's it. The, the, <laughs> I can tell you the, I'm the sorry. thing that Moses comes down with the big stone tablets. Yeah, yeah the commandments. Sure. Um, it's that's of course a kind of rough analogy, but yeah, uh, the five uh, precepts are roughly the um, prohibition against killing uh, either human or animals. That's part of the reason Buddhists generally are vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Uh, The prohibition against fraud or theft, against adultery, or uh, that's translated a bunch of different ways. Um, Love translating. Oh, you gotta love translating out of uh, ancient Sanskrit. Yay! (laughs) Uh, Prohibition against falsehoods and lying and malicious speech. And lastly, against intoxication, which that also in translation kind of means different things to different people, like some sects. (laughs) see, like, smoking as part of don't intoxic- intoxicate yourself, and some see it as narcotics, but not alcohol, and... It's, it's a mess. We... Every, every religion is a mess of everyone claiming one thing is right, uh, and kind of squinting when you look at the originals. And you got us, who just
1: kind of, like, pick and choose what parts of which religions are, like, yeah, I oh, kind of yeah. like, like this rule from this one, and I like this rule from this one, I think I'm gonna... That's that's kind of what I like about
0: uh, Zen. It's kind of the idea that it's non-exclusionary. I feel like this is kind of a thing in a lot of um, East Asian uh, traditions and religions. Is that you could very easily be both a Buddhist and a Taoist Mm -hmm. in uh, in medieval China. Like that's totally feasible. They're complementary uh, philosophies that see the world in slightly different ways, but you could call yourself a Confucian, and also do Zazen, like, that's totally cool. Great. By comparison, in the West, if you called yourself both a practicing Christian and a practicing Muslim, that would be odd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm sort of a Buddhist and sort of a witch, and that works, because who's anyone to tell me otherwise? (laughs) Uh, So, Transcendental Meditation is another thing. Uh, like I kind of mentioned earlier, it's uh, a specifically, specifically secular form of mindfulness. Uh, it was created by Maharishi uh, Mahesh Yogi, uh, a guy in India in the 50s, and it began as a spiritual practice um, using a lot of the same kind of mindfulness, awareness of breathing, um, and in TM's case, uh, the repetition of mantras was a big thing for them. Yeah, uh, But once... Uh, As as it progressed into the 60s and 70s, it took on a more secular presentation. Um, And also, for context, this was, like, the thing that the Beatles were into. (laughs) When they, like, chilled out for a little while and went to India. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, Transcendental Meditation was, like, specifically their big whole thing. And this has also been done pretty widely in America. Mm -hmm. Including by uh, American filmmaker David Lynch, who is a name... Just like around Hollywood, like he's making the next Dune movie, which I am very stoked about. <laughs> and also, he started a whole foundation uh, to for uh, promoting transcendental meditation in America. Which I mean, yeah, your money, go for it. <laughs> do do what you do what you want to do with your, your money, guy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, their online resources, the uh, David Lynch Foundation, uh, they have uh, a lot of stuff on what transcendental meditation is about and. Personally, reading through a lot of it, they are very big on uh, talking up how cool they are. Uh, (laughs) But they also offer a lot of statistics uh, about Transcendental Meditation's effect on rehabilitation. That has also had a long history in prisons going back to the 70s, and it's been studied uh, numerous times in different results, or in different studies, usually with pretty positive results. Mm -hmm. Uh, And although it is technically secular, it's, again, taking... um, Uh, Buddhists or uh, broader Indian um, meditation techniques and then divorcing them of any religious nature and saying, this is cool, do this. Uh, It is, kind of ironically, still considered by the US government quote, religious in nature and so is not taught in schools. Of course. (laughs) So the thing that is specifically taking the religion out of a religious practice (laughs) is still a little too religious for, for some of our American schools. Yes. So, this is kind of the big question. Um, do you focus on meditation, like, psychologically and detach it from the uh, spiritual religious stuff, or do you focus on Buddhist pr- practice as, like, a holistic philosophy and a way of living? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's two different sides of a coin, and one has a very rich history and is more of a broad way of living. Mm-hmm. Like, if you follow the five precepts of Buddhism... That is a like whole commitment to a way of living, whereas uh, doing meditation is totally a religious. Um, I kind of uh, realized like the analogy would be if if modern science found that the physical act of praying, like praying to God, like mm-hmm. Christians do, uh, if if modern science found the physical act of praying uh, good for you physically. And then they tried to market it to atheists by taking all the <laughs> god stuff out of it. You would, you could reliably say, hmm, that kind of seems like it misses the point a little bit. Yeah. So this is kind of the question. Uh, if you want to see it as a religious practice, and you want to devote yourself to that religious practice, you can get a lot out of it. But also, it limits the, uh, the number of people who will be kind of... Volunteering to practice, um, yeah. whereas on the other side, on the other side, you may miss some of the things that make Buddhism what it is by really uh, seeing all the world as a nail because you only choose to pick up the hammer. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a question then of does meditation make you a better person or does Buddhism make you a better person? And like, obviously, one targets a wider audience but is less holistic in scope. Um, and Zuiko actually had uh, a couple of really good points on this. Uh, when I asked her what her experience was um, teaching meditation in prisons, her uh, response was pretty firmly I don't teach meditation, I teach Buddhism. Uh, those are two different things. So, yeah, she's not teaching a class so that people can be rehabilitated. She's a pastor serving the spiritual needs of her congregation. Mm-hmm. And I am not Person. Mm -hmm. I'm a religious. I'm a pastor. And so my showing that Buddhist-inspired practices have remarkable benefits in recidivism, reduction in violent uh, behavior, but a part of me kind of thinks that similar studies could be found in other religious traditions too. Anyone who voluntarily adopts a new religious practice is probably changing pretty substantially as a person. Right.
1: And that's...
2: that path because they think it will it will make their lives more it will make their lives more useful Mm. and more meaningful
0: that's a great way of putting it Um, and what no matter what they're doing many of the men that
2: I um, that I minister to um, will not ever prison they're in life mm-hmm. without parole um, and so you know they're not worried about reducing
0: their recidivism rate <laughs> or yeah. um, any of that stuff um, which I think being
2: Buddhist would reduce your recidivism rate because it's about we. I rely on myself mm-hmm. and I don't expect others to um, I don't get annoyed and upset or I do get annoyed and upset, but I realize, Hey, that's life mm-hmm. when others say, no, I'm not going to help. No, oh, well, let's find another way to do this if so-and-so isn't going to help. And, uh, so I think in some ways it does reduce recidivism. Uh, and the men who have gotten out, um, in general, been successful in being out. And one interesting thing is that um, I'm still in touch with a couple, three of them, who've been mm-hmm. out for a number of years now. One man called me this morning from his from Omaha, where he
0: lives, to just kind of check in with me and tell me how how things are going for him and how his practice is going. Nice. So yeah, in conclusion, um, I suppose I would also preface saying that I am a Buddhist, so I would hardly be an unbiased source, uh, but I think Buddhism as a practice is beneficial to a person's well-being. Yeah, That seems backed by a fair number of studies that look at different pieces of what that practice is, and generally come to the conclusion that it seems to have a marked benefit on a person's psychological well-being. I think probably quote discovering religion behind bars probably has similar effects on lots of people in lots of different faiths Mm -hmm. uh but yeah you don't offer uh, a religion as a form of rehabilitation uh you offer it as a basic human right and kind of the fact that certain religious or spiritual practices have been seen to reduce recidivism and violent behavior and all of these other great things that uh, meditation is being praised for uh, the fact that it does reduce those things is kind of just an added bonus. Yeah. The fact that these programs are voluntary means that the people who are going to be drawn to them are uh, potentially people who are looking for change in themselves to begin with. Yeah, this, they've, they've already decided, yeah. like, I want to make a change
1: for this, and here's this program that is offering
0: yeah. possible help. So the best that, like, can be done from the outside is to make sure that the resources for those people who want that change are available. Mm -hmm. So to that effect, um, there are a couple of really cool organizations out there doing uh, really cool stuff. Um, The uh, Prison Mindfulness Institute uh, is a broad network of different um, Buddhist and mindfulness based uh, programs uh, that provides books and resources on meditations in prisons. Uh, They organize pen pal programs between incarcerated people and meditation volunteers. Um, and offer online training programs for prison volunteers. Uh, And, of course, Buddhists in prison are provided the same uh, religious services that uh, any other religious practitioner would be. Uh, And this, by the way, is where Zuiko's work um, comes into it. I'll probably include a little bit of her uh, speaking for herself on that point. Um, But uh, one of the... uh, um, Uh, Another great organization is the National Buddhist Prison Sangha. Uh, A sangha is a... uh, would best be translated as community or, Mm -hmm. like, practicing group. Uh, It's kind of the group of people that... or the community that comes about uh, of people practicing um, zazen or any other branch of Buddhism together as a community. You know, like a coven. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) One of the things often praised about, like... Buddhist groups in prison or even just secular meditation groups uh, is the fact that it creates a community of people that like are there for each other and produce social capital mm. and are there to support each other. And that is a huge thing that we as humans need. And also from a uh, social activism standpoint, that is a group of people that can speak together with one voice when bargaining with the, uh, the powers that be of the institution and can uh, or a petition or a campaign for their own rights and stand up for each other. So mm-hmm. from a social activism standpoint, also really cool. Uh, so the National uh, Buddhist Prison Sangha, which as you could see, would then just mean um, like, network of Buddhists in prison yeah. uh, in, in broad terms. Uh, so this program, the NBPS is a, nation- or a nationwide uh, network of uh, Buddhist volunteers. Um, Their mission is to sustain uh, correspondence between uh, people in prison and uh, their teachers and uh, volunteers outside. Um, And these are not results-oriented. They are person-oriented, is how I would phrase it. Uh, As uh, the kind of monetary uh, and recidivism-based arguments are very we should do this because it's good for the system. Uh, More of these programs are based on these are people and we should help them because they are people and that is good. In one of the uh, journals I've uh, been citing, um, they're quoted saying the primary purpose of Buddhist volunteer programs are not to reduce drug use and recidivism after release, but to improve participants' lives in prison. And I think that perfectly sums up why these are important. Mm -hmm. Uh, So these are the organizations providing Buddhists in prisons the resources they need to flourish. And that is why I think Buddhist groups in prison are the best. They really are. And uh, I'm going to quickly shout out my uh, wonderful sources before (laughs) Matt's computer dies on us here. Uh, The Prison Meditation Movements and Mass Incarceration article by Thomas Lyons, Dustin Cantrell, Uh, in the International Journal of Offender Therapy and Comparative Criminology. Uh, They were excellent, used a lot of cool sources from them. The Mindfulness and Other buddhist Derived Interventions in Correctional Settings, a Systematic Review. Great article by Ito Shonen, as I've quoted a couple of times. Uh, Also published by um, William Van Gordon, Karen Slade and Mark D. Griffiths uh, in the review journal, Aggressive and Violent Behavior. Uh, also, shout out to the David Lynch Foundation, uh, the Prison Mindfulness Institute at the National Buddhist Prison Sangha, and of course, as we go reading at the Cedar Rapids Zen Center. Yeah, awesome. They, yeah, they're really good. That's it's all very good things. It should I mean, we should really be better with, with what we do in the prison system. Absolutely. So I acknowledge that this is all stuff that I have been researching the hell out of, and I'm kind of just throwing all at you, Matt. But I hope that was coherent and good. Yeah, that was awesome. Hell yeah. Woo! Alright. Um, with that, I have been Spencer. I've been Matthew. And this is the best. Good